0: Did you hear about e-fail?
1: Yeah, uh I did hear about that. That is um Pretty that's bad, right? Us. Yeah, it yeah. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. It's I don't, I don't really
0: understand the ramifications of it yet, but it sounds bad.
1: I mean, it seems like uh, I I haven't done that much reading on it, but it seems like the implication is someone who like has the ability to intercept or modify an encrypted email message can like do things to it that cause your email client when it views that message uh to like exfiltrate the the encrypted content message out to a like remote server yeah and it's interesting because it takes advantage of like um some like certain email clients not doing exactly the right thing uh with with like some headers that are yeah headers that pgp adds into messages um apparently some some clients kind of ignore those uh which it turns out is bad uh it has to do with email clients kind of like automatically displaying uh images which you know most clients do most people don't turn that off um and it also kind of exploits just the complexity that uh is like mime like multipart email and the way things get encoded and ordered uh and, so it's and a, yeah
0: pgp <laughs> or gpg is like or i don't know which one's are, one of them's gpg and one of is pgp right
1: yeah, I mean, P- PGP was a, like, I think it was a commercial or shareware product a while ago. I don't know if it even still exists, but GPG is the, like, you know, free software um, uh, I implementation. See.
0: That's but yeah that, yeah, that shit's, like, 20 yeah. years old, right?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, GPG And, PGP, like, we've
0: learned a lot about encryption since then.
1: We have, uh, although, like, for back- backward compatibility, like, if you're designing PGP today or GPG today, uh, there are different, uh, like, different modes of encryption that would uh, automatically that would defend against this sort of thing. Right? right. Right. Um,
0: well, like don't spit out the plain text email once you decrypt it. Like that seems like a good start.
1: Or like, don't, uh, like don't just load images in in encrypted yeah. email by default. Right. Things like that,
0: which actually that's something I started doing. So that's a setting, um, in yeah. mail.app, which I do use. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to the preferences and go to viewing and then you go to load remote content in messages and uncheck that, um,
1: I found it just out that breaks like so much when you do that,
0: it's fine because to me it like it like prevents recruiters from being able to track if I've opened their email. Um, you, and there's people who aren't recruiters that are using those tracking chips and, or tracking uh, pixels, and I oh yeah, am not into it. And then like I, I just you know I don't need my email client like you know streaming out you know data about how I use. Uh, my yeah. email and when i check it and stuff i'm not into it so you can turn it off on both macOS and ios which i did i really really am enjoying it
1: maybe i'll try this again here uh yeah a, every a,
0: time there's an email with no images in it and it says like oh not loading remote images you're like i just caught you <laughs> i totally got you uh but, you want to do an episode or? uh yeah let's do it so uh so E fail aside, um you know security exploits will continue to come out forever they uh will.
1: but this show is coming to an end it is yeah, and we uh we we announced this now two episodes ago, right I think so yeah, uh we've gotten a lot of very nice feedback from from a lot of people a lot a lot of listeners, and uh I just personally want to say like thank you for that. it really is um just on a personal level, it's like really gratifying to hear uh, so many people um, are, are a fan of like of, of the show and uh, are you know sad to see it go. Um, yeah. That really means a lot to us.
0: You can. It's really easy to forget how many people listen to the show. Uh, yeah, because they don't like write us or you know, so we just don't know. Uh, we just see RSS subscribers. Well, like, number seems high, uh, <laughs> but it's nice to actually hear from people who are sad about the show ending uh, in kind of a perverse way
1: yeah 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 it's definitely uh uh, kind of a weird you know feeling but um
0: yeah yeah so this is going to be the last public episode uh, of fatal error um there'll be one more there'll be one more patreon only episode
1: is that what we're doing okay
0: yeah i mean you know if it ends up being a very special episode we can um we'll announce it on twitter or whatever
1: yeah that's true We'll, we'll figure it out yeah but
0: yeah but today for our last um episode, we want to talk about something that uh, is kind of foundational and something that is kind of seems simple at first, but ends up hiding a ton of interesting complexity and a ton of interesting mm-hmm. parts of programming and how programming has evolved over the years. Absolutely. Uh, and that is what is uh, sort of casually known as the billion dollar mistake, which is null.
1: Null. And I, I want to like give another shout out to Swift Unwrapped, who I was just listening to have a great episode this week. About the uh, changes to implicitly unwrapped optional in Swift, and that's a good, that's a great episode that you should uh, definitely go listen to. And I think it's also worth taking a step back. Uh, I know, like a lot of you are writing Swift, Swift day in day out, um, but it, I think that it may be nice to kind of take a step back and reexamine, like, why why do we have optionals? What problem do we think they're solving? Right?
0: Yeah, I think. I think it's kind of an interesting thing because this show has very much been about Swift in a lot of ways. But Mm -hmm. um, I think like almost more so than any other feature, optionals like kind of personify Swift, like more so than generics, more so than protocols, more so than anything else, like more so than enums, even though optionals and enums are very tightly related. Optionals like really are Swift to me.
1: They they do well. They are and they are right. They're they're Swift. They're also I mean kind of a significant part of a lot of of um, newer languages, right? Think about uh, Kotlin, like the sort of Swift counterpart on Android. Uh, That brings optionals or you know some sort of option type to the table as well. Yeah, like I think it's a hallmark of uh, Scala. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a hallmark of just a lot of relatively newer languages that that people are starting to use. Uh, you know, more widely in, in, in industry. Uh, people, people are talking about these languages more and more these days. So, <laughs> so why is more and more these days? Uh, I've been writing Python for like a year now instead of Swift. And I really, I still wish I were writing Swift. Yeah. Um, Hopefully so, soon. Hopefully one day. Uh, one day. Uh, Swift on the server. Um, so, so <laughs> why, why do we dive right in here? Like what, what is the problem with null no pointers or null no references or null no in general?
0: Basically, if you don't have something that lets you model things as optional and, more importantly, as non-optional, then every single variable, every single reference in your system ends up being able to be null at any point in time, and there's no way to know before you run the code whether there's a null there or not. You can be pretty sure. You can kind of try to keep track of it in your head, which is how you do it in Python, how you do it in Objective-C, but you don't really know that there's never gonna be a null there.
1: Right. There's no way for the, the compiler or the type checker to look at the code and say, yes, this is not going to be null, this is safe. To kind of like uh a, a little more formally say what like what Sarush is doing. Um well not even formally, just restate, right? Yep. Um in a language that has null pointers or, or null references, uh then anywhere you have any any variable, any uh you know instance that you think is is some type, uh let's say is is an integer. Uh, it's actually like an that type or null. It's an integer or null. And I mean, that means that, and really like to be completely safe, anywhere you use any reference to, uh, to an object, you have to like check that it is, uh, check whether it's null or uh, make sure that the, like whatever API you're using with can accept the null values. And I mean, if you think about it, like, most of what your program does is, like, deal with references to things, and that's <laughs> that's kind of a whole lot of, uh, you know, if you're going to really, like, do things very safely, that's a whole lot of, um, what's it, like, busy work to do as a programmer. Yeah. And humans hey. are, are bad at busy work, and it's a lot to keep track of, and so, like, there will be mistakes, or you'll take shortcuts because... Uh, you know, this thing should never be null, even though maybe it can be null in this edge case. And, like, the compiler, your type checker, like, can't help you. Your tools can't help you uh, f- find that um, find that case.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, like, one other important part of this is, like, there's no way to opt out of the nulls. Um, they are yeah. what they are. They're always going to be there, and there's no way to get around it. Yeah, and I think that's part of the perniciousness of nulls is just you're gonna you have to deal with it. There's no other way to do it except just to keep track of everything in your head. Remember which APIs are allowed to accept null and which are not. And it just ends up it ends up being pretty painful, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I
0: mean, I remember the Objective C days. Objective C is a little bit more forgiving than a language like Ruby or Java, because if you try to do something with nil. Namely, if you try to call a message on nil, it will work silently.
1: Or, you know, I think Chris would say that it would fail silently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It'll do something silently. Right? It'll, I guess, it'll return nil or zero or, you know, a a falsy value silently, which in a lot of cases may be correct and maybe sometimes isn't.
0: It it ends up being correct, like, I want to say, like, in 85 or 90% of cases, which is what's so pleasant about it. Right. But... Then in those cases where it's not, you're just you like, get
1: just some really obscure yeah. bugs where well, and
0: it ends up happening way down the line. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's not obvious what's going on.
0: Right. Whereas in Ruby and Java, they blow up immediately uh, with a with the so-called null pointer exception, and um, and I mean they they blow up immediately when you try to dereference a, a null pointer in um, like C and C plus plus and stuff. Right. Right. C C has pointers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anything about um, C. Uh, that's fine. It's, it's,
1: it, is, it is pointers. That's yeah. and, and any of them can be null.
0: Yep. Um, so so one thing that I think about is actually super interesting about this. I think like if you've been writing Swift for a while, you, you, you're, you're deep in the optional world. You're learning all the strategies to, to deal with them. But there's like all these interesting little theories and all these interesting little things around it that I think are like – super worthwhile to talk about. So, like, one example is, you know, we're talking about, let's say, Ruby's null, where you send it a message and it blows up. And you're talking about Objective C null, where you send it a message and it returns to you another value. If you think about it, that's kind of like um, a type that accepts all messages and a type that accepts no messages. Are you with me
1: so far? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So,
0: so, So a type that accepts no messages can never take the place of any other object.
1: Any other object that it does accept any messages, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, like if, you know, let's say you have a number type and you have an add one message that you can send to it, Mm -hmm. Um, if there's nil in that spot and you try to send the add one method uh, or message, it will blow up immediately, which means it does not act like that object.
1: Nil does not have, like, an is a relationship to that object that it's supposed to be acting as Yeah, but but when it's in that...
0: Yeah, but I'm even making kind of a broader claim, which is like, what messages does it accept? And Mm -hmm. then when you flip it and you look at Objective-C's weird nil, where it just accepts everything and just returns nil, it in some way, since it accepts every message, in some way it acts as a supertype for every object. Because whatever message you send it, it's going to respond to that message. It's not always going to respond in a way that you want it to, but it's going to respond with something. And is so,
1: it a, Does that make it a supertype for any other type or a, like, subtype for any other type? I can't remember. It's a covariance and contravariance and bivariance. Yeah. I, you uh, might and right. your it point might is that you can subtype. substitute nil for any other type, right? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah? Essentially, yes. That is what I'm saying. Um, and it's, again, it's not always going to respond correctly, but it is going to respond. And I think that, like, that interplays with, like, the Liskov substitution principle, where... A type is a subtype, yeah, you're right. It's a subtype relationship. A type is a subtype of another type if you can send um, the subtype in place of the supertype, and things will work. And it's not perfect because things don't always work because the responses that you get break a lot of contracts that um, Lis- Liskov yeah. expects you to keep in place. But in a very weird way, nil acts as the subtype for every single, um, every single sort of object that you can have in your system.
1: In in objective C, yeah. only yeah. I, I would push back a little bit and say, you know, if if returning nil for some things violates uh, an API contract, then and you're still violating the Liskov substitution principle, right? But um, yeah,
0: you are, you definitely are, but it's just it's I think it's weird in that way, and I think that's part of the reason that it's it is yeah. a little bit more pleasant to work with um, as until you run into one of those kind of hard to debug bugs.
1: Because it's cl- at least closer to like following the the Liskov substitution principle.
0: Yeah, fi- following some kind of type system. Whereas if it's um, like you know if it's you know Java style, if you sort of convert that into the Objective C world, you are or sorry. If you convert that into the Swift world, you basically have your object plus one more enum case, and that enum case looks like it will accept messages, but in fact, it just blows up every time you try to touch it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really weird and interesting. And I, I don't know. I think, I think null is such a, such a unique beast in our programming world because it um, causes so many problems. Like the inventor of it called it literally, he called it a billion dollar mistake. And I kind of wouldn't be surprised if it had caused more than a billion dollars of damage.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Think about, I I think this talk. So uh, in our show notes, we've linked to a talk by uh, uh, Tony Hoare, and uh, it's entitled Null References: The Billion Dollar Mistake," uh, and this is kind of a classic, uh, a classic talk, which you know I encourage you to watch when you have time. But um, going back to I think 1964 when uh, this concept was first introduced, like we're, we're talking about, you know, 50 years of of like no pointers being around, and uh, that certainly has caused uh, you know many billions of dollars of damage when yeah, you think really, about all the know. different ways that. Um, you know, null reference, null pointer dereferences in like C in particular have caused uh, like so many, um, yeah, so many security problems. Yeah, I mean,
0: think about all the times null has has kind of bitten you as one programmer, and then right, setting aside like just a million other programmers.
1: Well, and setting aside just even the, like productivity and debugging losses to things being null when you didn't expect them to, uh, and you know they're just. So many like real world implications of of security problems that have real world consequences, right? Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, and that's um one of those things that I always I always bring up on the show that I always find so fascinating about Swift is if you do Swift by the book, even for a you know a reasonably complex app, you could just have zero
1: crashes. You can, yeah. You may like, have other like functional bugs, right? Yeah, you um, have you have
0: bugs, no doubt, but like your crash logs will just be your ninety nine point nine percent crash for users.
1: Right, and that's because... Um, Mostly because you know, of this. That, In large part because of this. Right, there are other sort of you know, corner cases you have to be aware of with Objective-C, right, uh, that, yeah, that Swift and, also takes care of. But this is a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, no,
0: there's still ways for Swift to crash, but they just start to go away once you start dealing with null in sensible ways.
1: Right. And and that's because you know going back to what I was saying earlier, um, having the option type in Swift takes away this like implicit uh, this implicit fact about all of the all the types all the references in your program that it is like your type or null, Uh, and the option type makes that explicit. And for things that can't be null, you don't use an option type. And for things that can, uh, this lets your compiler this lets your type checker like provide uh, help you and and tell you. Uh, you know, hey, this this type is actually uh, foo controller or nil. Right, uh, it's exactly. not just a foo controller.
0: And we talked, you know, I think it was you know, two, three weeks ago, we talked about you have been writing so much Python and there are things that you think are type int, but they're actually type int or null.
1: Yes. In fact, everything I think is an int is an <laughs> int or, or null. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is annoying. Um, and, you know, I don't check that for every time I have something that I think is an int because that would just be the eighty percent of the code that I wrote, and so every once in a while, there's like uh, something five hundreds in in production because there's a none somewhere that um, that I wasn't expecting.
0: Yeah, have you ever have you played with any of the Python typing, progressive typing stuff?
1: Uh, I would like to, however. Um, Mostly that is uh, for Python 3, and um, we're using Python uh, 2.7 because we're on legacy or, you know, the older version of Google App Engine, which doesn't support Python 3. Eventually, we'll move to Python 3, and we'll use the, like, PEP 484 type annotations, and, you know, we'll at least have, you know, we we can opt into uh, these type hints and have, um, you know, have our tooling check it. Yeah. Uh, IntelliJ, the uh, you know ID that I've been using for Python that I've talked about can totally use those uh, like Python three pep forty four annotations, and uh, you know as as we move into the future here, I would love to start using that, but but no, I haven't really played with it yet.
0: Yeah, hopefully soon. Hopefully, it's it's really nice um, when you're able to do some of that stuff, and then oh yeah, yeah, it should be should be sweet. Um, one thing I want to ask you about is when was the first time that you became aware of something that like, like a maybe type or an option type or an optional type?
1: That's a great question. Um, boy,
0: because mine was a very specific moment, a specific blog post that I read. Cause yeah. like before that you're kind of trapped in the ideology of just being a programmer. You're like, yeah, of course everything can just everything time, be null. Everything might be
1: null. There's yeah, no way to tell
0: how I live my life. Um, right. And, and I read this one blog post, and I'll, and I'll put it in the show notes, um, and it's called Why, May, Why Maybe is Better Than Null. And I, I think I just found it on, like, Hacker News or something. And I remember specifically being in an airport, and I was just, like, browsing. I was really bored. And I found this article, and I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. And I think, you know, back at that time, this was 2013, Swift hadn't come out yet. I think the only language that I would have really known about, like, maybe Scala, but I think it was mostly Haskell that was doing this kind of thing. Um there there are other languages that support it too, but like those are the ones that were kind of in my in my sort of periphery. Sort of circles, yeah. Yeah. And I was just reading this thing and I was like, wait, 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 you're saying that that my references I can know if they're null or not? Like how does that even work? It's and, Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I uh, you know, kind of read through this post and, and the guy explains, sort of now no references can be null, and then you also need a uh an extra way to handle something that maybe has a value and maybe doesn't and he calls that the maybe type um and i knew about generics and i knew like i wanted generics in objective c um and you know you do use generics for the feature so you know what's inside the maybe but uh sort of seeing this was the thing that maybe i was like oh my god i absolutely want this like as soon as possible
1: yeah and once you, uh, I feel like it's one of those things that once you, you know, someone like tells you about it or you read about it, um, in a lot of ways it is kind of like a light bulb turning on. Um, I think that, you know, thinking back, I think that maybe it was like early Swift that actually introduced me to this idea. You know, either I may have, I don't know, may have seen something about it before, but yeah, it was probably, when, when was Swift announced? Was that 2014,
0: 2013? 2014, summer of
1: 2014. Yeah, it was probably summer of 2014. That, yeah. that I, you know.
0: Yeah, so I guess this was about a year before that. So, not not crazy, you know, long before that. And yeah. in the article, he mentions Rust and he mentions Kotlin. So, like, those did exist back then. Uh, we just didn't really work with them or know much about them. Uh, and Swift was, you know, secretly being worked mm-hmm.
1: on at that time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is cool. And the other nice thing about this post, he has this, like, big uh, frequently asked questions section, and he. Basically goes into all these little little details of like, oh, here's some cases where you, um, you know, where null is better than maybe. And it kind of goes through them one by one and says, no, you know what, like, n- maybe is really, really important.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like
0: this argument, the real pro- problem is people not properly reasoning about their functions. That isn't the fault of null. And it's like, yeah, in mm. some way that's true, but like I want tooling to support me, not like, not like make me have to think about stuff.
1: Right the job of your tooling is to like help you focus on like uh the problem that 's in your you know your your business domain for lack of a better term, like with the problem you 're trying to solve, not bookkeeping um, you know you probably you write in a language that uh, doesn 't force you to to deal with pointers and and like very low level structures all the time uh you 're probably not writing um, your your applications in assembly code and uh yeah it 's because your your tooling is here to help you and so any uh, any of this sort of busy work that is not like your problem that you're trying to work on, that's not your business domain, that your tooling can um you know that can take off your plate. Uh that's a good thing because you know we like to think that I'm 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 very smart. I can keep everything about this whole system in my head. Yeah, 100,000 lines of code, no big deal. I can keep it all in my you, head. humans are bad at that, right? Um, yeah. And if you have a, a tool that can like check that entire ten thousand, a hundred thousand line code base in in a you know a few seconds And for, you know, all these, you know, these kind of mistakes, uh, that's just clearly a win. Yeah, I think
0: so, too. So I kind of want to take it in like a slightly different direction and talk about sort of the galaxy brain feeling that working with optionals can start (laughs) to give you. Where like, you're like, oh, I can use an optional here to solve this problem. But then over time, you start to realize like, an optional isn't actually the right solution here. And I can actually go a, a level up and make something that is even more safe and even better. And so I wrote this post. Uh, it was a little while ago. I guess it was last year. Um, and it's called was that this really one. really a year ago? Yeah. Yeah. It was called that one optional property. And this is actually one of my favorite posts I've ever written. And what I argue there is that like sometimes you're like, working with some code and you're just like, you know what? If I just add one more property to this thing, I just make it optional. I just turn it on in some cases and leave it off in other cases, then this, this will be perfect. And like, I can solve my bug or I can uh, build my feature or whatever. And the argument that I make in this post is that that is a big, big flaw in terms of the design of your uh, types essentially. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? So the, the example that I read through in the blog post is imagine you have a view controller where the view controller either is you know presented normally or maybe it's presented via a push notification. And so if it's presented via a push notification, you want to be able to display that notification message text at the top of the view controller in like its own label. Um, and if it's presented normally, that label should not be there. And this was an actual thing that came up in an actual project that I work on. Um, and uh, we went through it and we slowly worked through. We realized, well, this notification message it's being represented by an optional string. If the string is there, that means that it was presented by a push notification and we need to show that label. Mm-hmm. But if the string is not there, it means it was presented normally and you know we don't need to show the label. So now the the, the presence of this string is determining the layout of the view, right? And that's a little bit weird because... Yeah. yeah. So the the string's presence, what does it mean if the string is present or not present? And... Because optional is so flexible in its use, it doesn't ascribe any semantic meaning to the the work that you're – to the stuff that you're looking at because it has to work in every situation. So you don't know what nil means. You don't know what none means in this case. And so the solution we ended up coming to is we ended up saying, okay, well, actually, you know what? This view controller, it's not that it has a message that might not be there or not. It's that it has a mode and that mode might be normal, and that mode might be from note, like push notification. And once you have that extra type in there, a type which has the same shape as an optional, right? it has one case where it has an associated value, and it has another case where it doesn't have an associated value. Once you have that extra type, you can start to do other stuff, like you can add functions to that type, uh, where there's certain data that might belong on that type that doesn't belong elsewhere. And so like, once you start working with optionals, uh, you start to realize that, yeah, they help you model your system better, but there's even better ways than that to model your system. And that's when you hit that true galaxy brain level.
1: Yeah. So adding like optional properties to, to kind of sum up, adding optional properties to To your class. uh,
0: Like a sum type. uh, 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 All right, let's do it. All right. 69th episode. Nice.
1: Nice. <laughs> this is a professional podcast. yes, that's um, right. we're professionals. We are professionals. Uh adding these optional properties like might indicate that your class is, you know, is is taking on additional responsibilities or is like gating behavior or certain behaviors on like this piece of data being present or not, which isn't that explicit, like it's very implicit and like as you add more of those it's going to be harder and harder to untangle that behavior, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So extracting uh, you know to trying to extract things to like types that again have one clear purpose or using uh an enum or some you know a, a some type uh to um like to to make those different uh different states different modes different behaviors explicit uh can be a really powerful approach as well yeah. um and that's something that you know something to keep in mind going back to my whole uh sort of uh, type or null point is that you know as you add uh as you add properties to a class. You're adding, um, you know, every time you add a property to the class, you're adding another, like, set of possible states for that class to be in, right? Right. If you add, um, if you have a structure that has, uh, you know, a few, um, you know, for sake of simplicity, say a few Booleans, and you add another Boolean, uh, you've multiplied by two the number of states that that, that that structure can be in. And that's something that uh, is, is even worse if you're adding optional properties because then, you know, let's say you add an optional Boolean, which doesn't make any sense. But now <laughs> uh, there are like four different states that that property can be in. So you're multiplying the the, the state space for that structure by four. And you know this is how uh, this is how complexity grows, right? This is how things get uh, get more and more complex. And you know, at least in Swift, we have tooling to help us deal with that. But that's really something to something to keep in mind.
0: So uh, real fast, um, I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned, which is as you add another boolean, mm-hmm. you double the potential state space of your object. Right? Um, did I get that right? You did. No, you nailed it. Okay. Yeah. Um, there is some really cool stuff out there. Um, there's one particular post I'll put in the. Uh, show notes called the algebra of algebraic data types and basically this person goes through uh and he uses um haskell uh but all the concepts come across to swift as well and basically says okay well if you have uh what's they call in haskell they call it void but we call it never in swift uh because it's impossible to construct that type it has zero possible values and mm-hmm. then you have what we call void, what they call unit, which is the empty tuple, which has one possible value. And then you have boolean, which has two possible values. You have optional, which is however many possible values your original type had, plus one, and so on. And you can start to think about your types algebraically. There's also the point-free boys. Uh, they did an episode on this stuff. And it's actually super cool. And there's a, there's a ton of really interesting analysis that you can do on your... Uh, on your types and, and figure out sort of what your types are representing. And the crucial thing here is that your optional type represents, uh, let's say you have an optional Boolean, like Chris mentioned, it's the two from the Boolean plus one more case from the, from the optional.
1: Right. So I guess adding an optional Boolean multiplies your state space by three, not by four, but like, yeah, exactly. It is Um, strictly worse.
0: Yeah, it is strictly worse. And it's, and and again, like maybe there maybe there is a th- maybe there are really three states there, right? Like maybe it's uh, like my promises, for example, they're either pending or failed or uh, succeeded. That's like that's three states. You really need to represent three states yeah. um, instead of representing your type as, let's say, this thing plus one more using the optional type. Uh, it might be valuable again to make your own enum and say, you know what? I'm just going to actually make my own enum that has exactly three cases, not use optionals at all, um, and say, uh, and, and take those basically those uh, potential values that you had before true, false, and nil mm-hmm. and give them real names and give them real values and semantic meaning and all of
1: that. And, and then it's explicitly clear what each of those three possible states means exactly. rather than having. Uh, null or two other states yeah Uh, and if you
0: realize you need another state it's much easier to add that extra state because you now have a an enum that you control that you can add stuff to
1: right yeah so maybe the is this i I can't keep track of this but the like universe brain here is like not only are (laughs) option types great but when possible you should think about whether you need an option type or whether you should make a different type that actually represents more closely what you're trying to model
0: yeah, I think that's right. I think one of the most enlightening things about Swift is if you go back and look at the definition of the optional type, right? It's an enum. That enum has a generic type, which is called wrapped, which is the type that it's wrapping. Mm-hmm. And then there's two cases the enum. One case is called sum, and it contains a single wrapped value, and the other case is called none. And once you see that – for lack of a better word, shape – but once you start to see that structure of the optional, you realize, well, if my wrapped is actually an enum with three other cases – then really this whole thing can be represented not as my enum with three cases plus the none, but as a totally different enum with four cases. Like in, right. oh, at the end of the day, the optional is just another enum. And you can kind of take advantage of that to fit your app a little bit better, whether that's making um, state machines, whether that's making modes for types to be in, um, whether that is... You know, figuring out a potential set of options that you might, like that the user might be choosing, maybe enums are the true universe brain. So small are. brain, small brain is use C and dereference a null pointer. Uh, medium brain is use Ruby and get a null pointer exception, uh, which is functionally the same, even though you're not actually dereferencing a pointer. Yeah. Is
1: medium brain the like objective C at least like have messaging nil? No. Right. You... That's,
0: the, that's the large brain. And then you have oh. the galaxy brain is using optional. And then the universe <laughs> brain is just using enum, man. It's all good. Just use Wait, enum. how many
1: brains are there? I, I thought there were want. only four. Oh, okay. No, fair they, enough.
0: they get really big. There's, um, there's some with six, seven, 15.
1: Wow. That's yeah. a lot of brains.
0: Universe brain is a very, uh, it's a very flexible meme.
1: It's know? a malleable. It's yeah. A,
0: you, know, you could shape it to exactly what you want, just like an enum. <laughs> 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 okay all right i figured it out we're gonna put in the show notes we're gonna put a new enum called brains and it's gonna Ooh. be small dot you know case small case medium case large case galaxy and case universe
1: now does that have to be uh i forget where we landed on enums Does that have to be declared a like um extensible enum or something
0: who is it a frozen enum or a not frozen enum? No, i don't think a it's question. a frozen enum i mean but yeah you might want to add more
1: you know more later uh yeah absolutely you, you forgot medium there we go
0: yeah now we're i'm literally typing this in the show notes right oh now. yeah i'm it's... watching
1: through type now the <laughs> miracle of uh real-time text editing over the internet which is cool we're f- like think about how this works like we're 500 miles apart we're like talking and like writing on the same document like that would be hard to do with paper in person <laughs> right? uh do you remember sub ether edit from back in the day i do yeah sub that Edit was so bomb it really was yeah
0: yeah yeah, I still think about that. Like back in those days, before Google Docs, it was just like a Mac app and you could just edit the stuff together. It was edit like code, edit, whatever. Mm-hmm. We didn't use Git. We didn't use any stuff. We just used sub edit. <laughs> it was great. I guess this stuff. is,
1: I, I mean, I don't think I have anything else to say about this.
0: Yeah. Um, optionals are really good. Really lean into them. Try not to use exclamation points and force unwrapping and, and implicitly unwrapped optionals. Uh, try to use the natural facilities like Iflet, Guardlet, the question mark, question mark operator. Um, all these little tools that uh, Swift gives you. If you really want to get to the advanced level, use map and flat map on your optionals and learn about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but really lean into the optional stuff because, you know again, you can make an app that just doesn't crash.
1: And it's it incredible. Seems, it, this stuff seems weird if you're coming to it, but uh, it's, it's here to help you. Like, these tools yeah. are here to... Uh, to take a whole lot of um, busy work off your plate, so you can focus on what's interesting about your problem.
0: Absolutely, thank you so much to everyone who's listened over the past two years. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to us drone on about our pet programming topics that we love so much. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. Uh, WWDC is coming up. If you see either of us there, definitely say hi. Um, we love you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, everything Saru said. I mean, uh, this has been this has been a lot of fun. And yeah, man, I yeah. really, I we really we should... appreciate all of um, uh, all of you who've listened and supported us so over the past two years. It, it really does mean a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I remember when we started the stupid podcast, we were just like,
1: maybe we should do a podcast. Let's do 10 episodes and see where it goes. Yeah, every time yeah. we see each other, we end up talking about programming. Well, maybe should, let's, <laughs> let's just record it. <laughs> let's record a podcast. Uh, and
0: it ended up being more work than we expected, but also way more rewarding than we expected.
1: It's, yeah, um, it's a, it's, yeah, both of those. It's it's more work. It's more of a time commitment than than certainly I expected, uh, and it also has been very rewarding. Yeah.
0: So again, thank you so much to everyone who's listened. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I guess that's
1: it. That's all. Uh, cool. All right, we'll Chris. See, see I talk you on, to you next week. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see you on the internet. Yeah, I'll
0: see you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs>